things I try and remind myself to do uh, occasionally on Sundays is if we've talked about doing something in the past as a church, just to follow up and say, are we doing it? And so, oh, probably two or three months ago, we talked about using Lionel and business cards. Guys, it's just a cheesy, easy way to remind ourselves to talk to others about Christ or to invite them to church. And you can pick these up at the back. If Patty Ann runs out of these on any given Sunday, she'll have more the next Sunday. You can ask Patty Ann, by the way, to print up cards with your name and your contact information on them with Lion and the Lamb. The Gospel's on the back. But is that something we're being intentional about? Inviting someone to church, either that's a Christian and needs a home, or that doesn't yet know Christ, and the church is a great place for them to be on a Sunday morning. Or just to initiate a conversation. Sometimes, even if I don't have time to have a conversation, I'll invite and give them the card. And I know that because the Lion and Lamb website's on there, they can go online and hear teachings on about anything. So it's easy, and it's just one of the ways we're trying to be intentional about reaching out to others. Let me pray, and we'll jump into the text for this morning. Father, we thank you that we can rely on you for everything that's worth having or knowing. Thanks that uh, ultimately, Lord, you've graced us, you've blessed us with the, the Son of your love, our Savior, Lord, our King, our Sovereign, Would you help us to honor Jesus this morning as we spend a little time in your word? God, would you help us to be people who identify with your son in this whole arena of truth? In his name, amen. There's a story in Genesis 18, just by way of introduction. Um, Back in the day, you know, Abraham and Sarah, and they're, they're getting old, and they've always wanted a child, and God's actually given them a promise that He's going to bless them with children, more numerous than the stars or the sand. But the years have wound on, and, and there's been no child, at least no child of promise. There's been an Ishmael, that's not quite the same thing. But in Genesis 18, God takes on flesh. It's not the incarnation, but it's the second person of the Trinity putting on flesh and blood body along with a couple of angels who do the same thing and they show up at Abraham's tent and Abraham runs out to them and he shows them great Middle Eastern hospitality. He has them sit in the shade of a tree. He prepares a lavish banquet for them, feeds them, waits on them, serves them. And the Lord says to Abraham, next year I'm coming and Sarah's going to have a son. Now, Sarah has not been part of the conversation. She is inside the tent, and they're not. But she's listening. And she hears this statement that the Lord says, Sarah's going to have a son next year, and she can't believe it, right? She's 89 or 90 years old. You know, her hopes of having a children are long gone. And so, even though it's the Lord, she kind of forgets herself in the moment, right? She's hiding inside the tent. She giggles. She laughs. And so, God says, why did Sarah laugh? And you, you can imagine, right? She was in the tent. She was out of sight. She probably thought she couldn't even be heard. But she was heard. And she suddenly found out, and God's querying Abraham, hey, why did your wife laugh? And Sarah's caught. Does, have you ever felt like this? You're trapped, right? In the moment. Life's going along, and all of a sudden, you're trapped. Well, she's trapped. Uh, He heard me, didn't think he could, I'm out of sight. And so what do I do? I'm scrambling. I just told the Lord that he's saying something that's not true. And he's caught me in it. And so what does she do? She says, oh, no, no, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. So God who can't lie, she says, well, that can't be true. And, And now, is there anything wrong with God's hearing? The God that can hear all things says no. He says, but you, you did laugh. You laughed. You know, in this story, I hope you feel Sarah's discomfort. Because I'll bet all of us have been in a situation like this where maybe just out of the blue, some scenario comes on us and we scramble mentally and emotionally. We're not sure what to do. And we just say something in the moment that's easy and we think it's getting us out of this current trouble and this discomfort and we lie, don't we? And in saying this, I'm not throwing Sarah under the bus. I, I feel deeply empathetic. I remember a situation in my own life years ago. We were going to buy a house. 
in front of a mortgage officer in a bank signing legal documents. And she says, do you, uh, on the amount of money you're putting down on this house, is any of that been loaned to you? Now, I kid you not, my realtor on my side of the table with me kicks me. While the mortgage officer's head is down. And in the moment I panic, just like Sarah, I'm there. No, lie. You know, I'm a Christian, I'm a young Christian, but I know better. So I go home. Of course, my conscience is totally bothering me. So I call the mortgage officer and I say, hey, I didn't tell you the truth back then. Uh, I've been loaned this money. And the, the mortgage officer says, that's fine. There's no problem with that. Just write me a letter that there's no, there's no schedule by which you have to pay it back. Well, I said, well, okay. But you know, I'm there with Sarah. So when I bring this up, I'm there with her. I'm feeling her pain. And many of us, maybe most of us, might have done the same thing. The problem, though, isn't it this, that we're in the pinch, what's convenient, what feels like the best way out, and maybe at times for us we think, well, I'll just lie. No one knows. No one else will know. It's not going to hurt anyone. You know, I'm just saying this little thing in the moment. I escape. I get out. I feel okay. You know, the trouble with it, though, is this. It's that God absolutely hates lying. God absolutely hates lying in whatever form it comes out of our mouth, by whatever means we prevaricate, we shade the truth, we hedge. If it's a lie, it's something that God very, very clearly says He absolutely hates. We're in the second week of a seven-week series titled God Hates. And besides God hating haughty eyes, and you remember that's the the graphic image of pride, God now says in Proverbs 6, verse 17, that He also hates a lying tongue. And if you happen to miss the introduction, I just want to say for clarity again, we said that we're also redeeming the whole language about God hates. You know, in our culture, and especially in Topeka, Kansas, the phrase God hates has been used and abused and misused. But God's very clear that He really, really, really loves some things that are consistent with His nature, His character, and His will, but that God absolutely and perfectly hates other things. And He hates things inconsistent with His nature, His character, and His will. And those are things that we are called to hate as well. You remember also that we said God uses numbers. Six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. This use of numbers sort of heightens our expectation. And at the end of the day, usually means God's making the point of the last thing, which we'll get to on the seventh week. But there's some things God absolutely hates. And we want to hate the things God hates. Proverbs 6, just verse 16 and 17, part of 17 today, six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. He really, really, really dislikes them. Haughty eyes, we talked about the first time. And today, a lying tongue. God makes this personal by saying, He doesn't say God hates lying. He says God hates a lying tongue. And you remember again, God's attaching these very specific sins to our body parts for a reason. This is something I do. This is something I use my body that God's gifted me with to do something God hates. He wants it for us to be very personal. With my lips, with my eyes, with my hands. I have to own this sin that God hates. That's the thought. So God hates lying. He hates us using our tongues, our mouth, our vocal cords, our lips to speak lies. God hates lying. Hopefully you've got a study sheet. By the way, there's a ton of texts for this morning's study. I may or may not get to all of them, so I hope you have one can take that home with you. Proverbs 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips, essentially the same thing. Zechariah 8.17, Love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. When we make a, an oath, a vow, think of a marriage vow or a solemn promise in a court of law, something like that. God says, I hate when you stand up to declare I'm speaking truth when in fact you're lying at the same moment. You're lying instead of truth-telling. In Malachi 3.5, God says, I will be a swift witness against sorcerers 
adulterers, and those who swear falsely. Now just think about this for a minute. We tend to minimize lies. If I tell a lie, there's a good reason for it, isn't there? I'm justified somehow, some way, right? I tell a lie, I justify it. But here, lying and liars are in the company of witchcraft and adulterers. You see the thing, God's throwing, when I lie, I'm like the person practicing adultery. I'm like the person practicing witchcraft. I'm thrown into that same mix. God abhors lying like He does those sins too that we usually have no problem saying, yeah, that's something to avoid. Well, lying's in the same category. The Hebrew word for lying is shaker, lie, deception, falsehood, fraud, wrong. This is used 115 times in the Old Testament. God talks a lot about lying in the Old Testament. I want to have a flavor. Basically, when we go through this, I want us to have a flavor of what God really thinks. Part of that just comes about by repetition. God says a lot about what He thinks about lying. So Exodus 20, verse 16, this is the ninth of the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false, and the word there is shaker, don't bear lying witness against your neighbor. Now we're going to talk about this in Exodus 23, keep far from a false or a lying charge against someone else. We'll talk about these again when we look up the issue of slander. But God's saying here, don't lie in this context about someone else. Don't lie about someone else. We easily fall into this trap. Gossip and other means usually we simply talk too much about someone else and often end up lying about them. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely. Again, the same word, lying, and profane the name of your God. God uh, has a lot in His name. And when we attach, and guys, this is what we as Christians do. If we practice deceit and lying, we are attaching lying to Christ's name. And God says, don't do that. Don't take my name in the mud by lying in my name and in my cause. You know, as Christians, we don't need to exaggerate anything. The truth needs no help. I can't remember one of the guys from the last century in America um, said the truth will bear all examination. We, if something's true, it'll bear up under the closest scrutiny. We don't have to somehow exaggerate the truth or God's claims For God to use the truth in the lives of other people. Don't do it. We don't want to do that. We don't want to go there. Psalm 7.14 says, It's the wicked man that gives birth to lies. When I lie, when I practice lying, I, I resemble the guy that God says is the wicked man. I'll bet there's no one here with this morning that would say I'm a wicked man. But if I lie, when I practice lying, I look like the person God says is the wicked man. Psalm 52.3, David uses that same term about Doeg the Edomite, the guy who murdered the priests of God. He's that kind of person. We act like that kind of violent person when we lie. Proverbs 19.5, He who breathes out lies will not escape. We're usually telling a lie to escape something, aren't we? Aren't we? But God says when we use lies to escape, you can figure they're not going to help you escape. Right past that, Proverbs 19.9, He who breathes out lies will perish. I'm lying because I'm trying to save my life. God says you lie to save your life. You'll lose your life. You'll get the opposite fruit that you're after. Don't lie. Proverbs 26.28, A lying tongue hates its victims. And a flattering mouth works ruin. A lying tongue. When we lie to other people, we hate them, Scripture says. That's that's powerful, isn't it? If we think about our interactions with each other, and we'll talk about some practical applications, what this might look like later. But if I choose to lie to you, I tell you you're not important enough to me to tell you the truth. You just aren't that important. So I feel free to lie to you because I don't value you. When we lie to other people, we're telling them what their value to us is. You're not valuable. Isaiah 44.20, 
And the whole second half of Isaiah is a key, key section of the Scripture on idolatry and lying. So in that verse, God says, He, the idolater, the man who's worshiping an idol, he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. He cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? You see, the idolater could carry his lie, his statue, in his own hand. He's carved it out of a piece of wood. In fact, the, the graphic imagery in Isaiah is just great. I cut a tree down, cut a section out. I, I make a fire with part of this wood. I burn. I cook my supper on it. And then the other part I carve into a statue and I worship and bow down to it. Well, Isaiah says the idolater has lost the ability to know the truth from a lie because he's given himself up to idolatry so long he can't even look at the statue in his hands and say... This isn't a God. This is something I carved. This is the product of my labors. This isn't something that can help me. Can't even see that anymore because he's been living a lie through the practice of his own idolatry. And now he's lost in a world of lies. Jeremiah, I've just got a few examples there. I just wanted to make this case. 34 times. In the prophet Jeremiah, this term, shaker, this line comes up. This is significant. Theologically, this is significant. So Jeremiah lives up to and through the destruction of the kingdom of Judah. So if you say, what was Judah like right at the end when God said, the time is up and I'm judging the nation of Judah now? It's characterized by lying. This is instructive to me. If you get a culture that's defined by lying to each other as a norm, that was true of Judah just before God brought judgment and wiped the nation out. And listen to what he says. Just an example. Collectively, Jeremiah 5.2, they swear falsely. They lie in their oaths to each other. 5.31 The prophets prophesy falsely. The prophets are the guys that are supposed to speak for God. They're lying. From prophet to priest, all deal falsely. These are the religious and political leaders of Judah. They all lie. And 13.25, you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. And guys, you and I, you know, the same things come around, don't they, historically? We live in a culture and a time in which lying is the norm again. So the leaders in Judah, they were lying. Do you think our politicians lie regularly? It's a way of life. But by the way, do you think people who name God and Christ by name, do you think they lie today too? If you go to churches today, do you think you'll hear a few lies? About our identity and sexuality and morality and God's view of the Trinity and of Himself and His image in us in marriage and family? The priests lie, the prophets lie, the religious leaders lie, the political leaders lie. We're not far removed from Jeremiah and Judah when God brought judgment. And that's why I say I think this is very telling for us. Right before the end, they were committed, they practiced, they were identified by a spirit of lying. The New Testament, very briefly... Uh, Acts 5.3, if you remember the story, Ananias and Sapphira sell some land, but they lie about the amount. They want to appear better than they are in a sense. And so, interestingly, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? This wasn't just from you. This was Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. When Ananias and Sapphira lied to Peter, the representative of the church leadership, Peter says, you've actually lied to God. God knows every lie. And you remember what God did? He slays Ananias. Sapphira says the same lie. God slays Sapphira too. He was establishing that God really is here in the church. And God really has a standard in the church. And so they were slain for lying. Pretty serious. Romans 1.25 says of the idolaters among the Gentiles, as Paul is painting the picture to show us all the Gentiles are guilty before God, He says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. You know, it says that we catch a glimmer of the truth about God, but our tendency naturally is to turn from God, the light of the truth of God, turn away from Him to the darkness. And that's what Paul says in Romans 1 is typical of us all, that we turn from the truth to embrace lies. 
Last, Colossians 3.9, don't lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self. Friends, lying is part of our old sinful nature. It's an it's ingenious nature. It's a creative nature. Creative in the ways that it can lie. But Paul says lying is tied up with a life and a lifestyle that's not supposed to be true of us anymore. Our old man was crucified with Jesus on the cross. When we lie, we're living as if it's the old man alive, not the new. So, what's God think about lies and lying? Lying tongue. God says don't lie about others. Don't lie to others. Don't lie in God's name. Don't lie for God's benefit. God says it's the wicked and the violent who practice lying. God says that hatred informs lying, but that liars are in fact preparing for their own destruction. God says that trading in lies long enough renders us unable to tell a lie from the truth, even in our own mouth. And a culture given over to lies is a culture tipping towards its own destruction. Now there's a reason that God hates lying because it's not characteristic of Him. And God is good. And all goodness springs from God's nature. But lying is characteristic of Satan, the God of this world. It is in fact the currency of His kingdom, lying. And if you think about Genesis 3 for just a moment, we know that Adam and Eve were put in the garden. It's perfect. Everything's good. Everything's good. And God allows this temptation to come in, doesn't He? And it's about the fruit on the tree. The temptation to Eve was to take the fruit God had forbidden and to eat it. And, and Satan uses some truth with some lies, doesn't he? This is almost always the case that there's some element of truth that you will become like God. Well, there's a sense in which that was true because he said you'll know good from evil. You'll know something you don't know now. That... That part was true. He says you'll become like God when you sin, though, which was not true. They became like Him. They became like Satan. And Jesus says in John, I think it's 8.44, that Satan is the father of lies. It's what he does. It's what his followers do. And related to that temptation, think of this for just a minute. And again, because I think we tend to minimize lies and how much God hates them and doesn't want us to participate in lying, if you think of the temptation, the temptation was, in fact, based on a lie. So when Adam and Eve fell, when they disobeyed, they did so based on a lie. So all of the sin that's ever been in the world, all of the death, the necessity of Jesus' death, for us, all came because of a lie. The destruction of lies is incomparable. We don't know when we lie where a thing might go. So all of death on planet Earth sprang from a temptation which was based on a lie. That's how potent lies and lying can be. Just as pride was Satan's undoing and the defining element of his character, and we've talked about that, Lying is the defining element of his practices and it's the currency of those who reside in his kingdom. Lying comes naturally to those who follow Satan, the God of this world. So let me just ask you a few questions. Tax season ended a mere month ago. Did anyone cheat on their taxes this year? Uh, Because that would be lying, wouldn't it? So we want to hedge what my full income was. I'm, taking, I'm, I'm paying you cash and you're accepting cash so you don't have to claim it. That's, that's lying, isn't it? Well, if I cheat on my income taxes, that's lying. So if you don't have to claim something, by all means, legally don't. But if you cheat on your income taxes, you're lying. God's quite clear, pay taxes to whom taxes are due. If you think the taxes are too high, that's fine. But you're still supposed to pay them. That's what God says, Romans. So do we cheat on our taxes? That's lying. Husbands, do you entertain thoughts of women other than your wife in a way that you shouldn't? Or wives, do you entertain thoughts of other men, not your husband, in a way that you shouldn't, reserved just for your husband? Because when we do that, we are lying against the oath we took to keep ourselves solely for our spouse. That's lying. 
It's not just lust, it's not just envy, it's not just greed, it's also lying. Do you tell white lies or little lies when it feels inconvenient to tell the truth? You know, I'm just getting out of a tight spot, just like Sarah, just like I did. You know, I'm scrambling, and I don't want to say the truth, and so I just tell a lie in the moment. What, however we justify it, it's lying, it's what God hates. Do we lie by speaking one way and acting in another? You can lie by your actions. We generally call this hypocrisy, but it's also lying. So in Galatians 2.14, the Apostle Paul calls the Apostle Peter a liar. How's that? For leadership, by example. So the deal is, Pete, a Jew, has been eating with Gentiles. But then some more Jews from Jerusalem come up and Pete's afraid of what they'll think of him. So Peter, who has been eating with the Gentiles, embracing the truth of the Gospel, that we're all one in Christ, there's no partition that divides Jews and Gentiles anymore, we're all one. Peter lies because he withdraws from the Gentile believers. And Paul calls him on it and he says, you're not living up to the truth of the Gospel. By your example, you're lying against the Gospel. We can lie by what we do, not just by what we say. Do we resemble the Father of lights or the Father of lies? Do we resemble the Father of lights or the Father of lies? Does God approve of lying in some situations? And I want to include this just for a moment. It's sort of a digression, but I want to cover the base uh, just so we have, okay. There are occasions, and if you've read your Bible and know the stories well, you're, you're already aware of a couple situations in which it might appear that God blesses, winks at, lying. Exodus 1 and Joshua 2. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh has commanded the Jewish midwives to put to death any little baby boy that's born. Well, the baby boys are being born and they're not being put to death. Pharaoh calls them in and says, hey, what gives? The midwives say, well, those Jewish gals, they're healthier. They're stronger than you Egyptians. And, you know, by the time we get there, they've already had their children. And we're not able to, you know, do the little fellows in before anyone knows what we've done. Now, most people assume that's a lie. But I would just say on clarity, the text does not say it's a lie. We don't know. One, okay. Two, if it is. God does not commend the midwives for lying, if in fact that's what they did. He says this, because the midwives feared God, He made households for them. They feared God enough not to obey Pharaoh and kill the little boys. That's why they're commended, not for lying. Don't know that they lied for sure. If they did, that's not why they're commended. They're commended because they feared God and preserved the lives of the boys. Joshua 2 is another story. In Joshua 2, Rahab the harlot, and by the way, this is a mini aside too, it's possible that the Hebrew term there actually doesn't mean prostitute, but proprietor. She may have been a prostitute, that's been the historic understanding, but she may have simply been a woman who rented out rooms on the wall. That's another option, like a, an inn, a bed and breakfast, if you will. But we know she lives on the wall there in Jericho. Now, it's very clear the spies come in and they go to her place. And the king of Jericho knows that, so he sends some of his guys and says, hey, we heard you have some visitors. Now, there's no doubt here, Rahab lies. She said, well, they did come, but they've already left. But they, they didn't. They're hiding there on her roof. And she lies, absolutely no doubt about it. And, and God commends Rahab in Hebrews 11, doesn't He? Does He say He commends her for lying? No. He commends her for faith. And just think of this for just a moment. Rahab's a Gentile in Jericho. Now they've had some stories, and Jericho knows this group that's coming. They've heard about the stories about this group from Egypt and what God has done to the Egyptians and the Ammonites and the Moabites now. And Rahab is what we would call, she's a brand new believer. So let's just say Rahab's 30 years old. She's got 30 years of practicing lying deceit and just thinking like an unsaved pagan she's a brand new believer and she does the, what makes sense to her in the moment she lies but let's cut her some slack when i was a brand new believer she looks good 
compared to me in the days following my conversion. Doing all the wrong things. Still didn't have a clue about a lot of things. Okay, so we'll cut Rahab some slack and just say, she feared God, she believed in Yahweh, God commends her for her faith, demonstrated by saving those guys. God does not commend lying there. He never commends lying in that story. This is another thing that I want to point out. There are times when God turns people over to their lies and their own appetite for lies. 1 Kings 22 and a parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 18 is a story about the most wicked king in the history of the nation of Israel, the northern tribes. And God had already told wicked King Ahab, I'm going to destroy you and your household. And in these texts, we we get a vision into heaven because the prophet Micaiah tells Ahab, this is what God showed me. And what he showed me was this. God sits in the courts of heaven and the angels are there. And apparently among the angels, there's the holy angels and there's the unholy fallen angels. We would call them demons. And God's having a conversation with the angels and He says, "Uh, it's time to judge Ahab. Do you guys have any suggestions about how to go about this? And it says one says one thing and one says another. One comes up and says, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And God says to that lying spirit, I assume is a demon, go and succeed. Go and succeed. Now this is the deal. God isn't lying. God's not lying. God is not instituting lying. This is the thing you really really want to be careful of. God lets a lying spirit put lies in the mouth of lying prophets to lie to a lying king, an idolater. Are you with me? This is like God and Pharaoh in Egypt when God says Pharaoh will harden his heart. And you know what? Then I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. God God is uh, interacting with these folks consistent with their own choices and desires. So God says of Ahab, you want lies? You'll have lies. God doesn't lie in this. This is, this is very, very critical for us to understand. Hebrews, I think you've got this on your study sheet someplace. Hebrews 6.18, we're, we're told, we read, it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. You know, we say there's some things God can do all things. There's a lot of things God cannot do because He would quit being God. It would be inconsistent with His nature. God never changes. God never lies. Never ever. But He does give people, consistent with their own choices, sometimes the lies that they want to embrace. And that's exactly what He does with Ahab. You see the same thing in Romans 1, verse 24, 26, and 28. This is not the company you want to be in, by the way. When we read in Romans 1 that God gave them up, they turned from the knowledge of God to idols. And the text says God gave them up. They turned from some of the truth they knew to more lies, and it says God gave them up. God gave them up. And each time, there's this digression further and further down into the depths of lies and death and deception. But God is giving people the fruit of their own decisions. And that, that's what I want us to understand on the takeaway about does God ever lie? Does God ever sanction lying? Does God ever Himself lie or somehow bless lies? You will not find that in the Bible, but you will find God blessing people who have lied and you will find God interacting with people who've chosen a lifestyle of lies allowing them to have the fruit of their own decisions. In fact, Psalm 18.26 says, with the pure you show yourself pure, with the crooked, and this is the morally crooked, this is not a good thing, we want to be morally straight. With the morally crooked you make yourself, ESV reads, seem tortuous. The New English translation says, uh, you're deceptive to one who is perverse, you prove to be deceptive, they can't figure you out. With the crooked, NASB says, you show yourself astute. God doesn't accommodate Himself to liars in a way that they're able to manipulate or use God. But He does oftentimes give people the fruit of their own choices. And I only say this to this group as a warning. 
if we trade in lies, we, we can deal in lies in our own head about our own sin, typically. I mean, oftentimes that's where our lies go. I'm just going to do this thing one more time and then I'll stop. I'm just going to say this to that person one more time and, and that's the last time. But this is the thing, lie leads to lie. And we grow hardened over the ability to distinguish the truth in our own life. We don't want God to say of us, I gave them up. We don't want that. We don't want God to give us the fruit of lies. We don't want to go there. Nor do we want it for the lives of those folks we know and care about. So God accommodates Himself with the morally crooked and bent consistent with their own choices. God Himself does not, cannot lie. Now the antidote to lying, switching gears here, has to do with the truth, doesn't it? If God hates lying, what does He love? Well, He loves the truth, doesn't He? And God is the truth. John, I've got a bunch of verses there for you, just straight out of John's Gospel. If you want to be characterized by the truth, and by truth-telling, and you know what the truth is, and you live a life predicated on the truth, Jesus is the place you've got to be. He's the guy you've got to know. He's the one you've got to be hanging out with. Jesus says of Himself in John 14.6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We usually quote that to people to say Jesus is the only way to be saved. And certainly that's true. But if you want to know what is in fact truth with a capital T at the end of the day, you've got to do that through the knowledge of Christ Himself. If it's truth with a capital T, you can't know it apart from knowing Christ. Even if I aspire as someone who rejects Christ to be a noble-minded person, I've got a sinful disposition that trades in lies because... That's what it does. If I'm going to embrace the truth, I'm going to embrace Christ. A person who ultimately rejects Christ is ultimately rejecting truth. And all the philosophies and, and all the apologetics for atheism or agnosticism or for the rejection of God in one stripe or another is ultimately the rejection of truth itself. John 1.14 The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you just check the, the frequency of truth in John's Gospel about Jesus, it's over and over and over again. John 1.17, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a particularly poignant verse for me. Jesus said in John 17.19, as He prays to God the Father the night He's betrayed, He says, for their sake I consecrate Myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. Sanctified in the truth means set apart in the truth, for the truth. Their life is characterized by truth. But what does consecrate Myself mean? When Jesus says, I consecrate Myself, He's talking about His suffering and His death on the cross, isn't He? So when we think about how highly God values truth in my life or yours, Jesus says, I suffer the pangs of death and the wrath of God so that you can be characterized and sanctified by truth. So when we're tempted to think about lies, Jesus says, remember this, I go to the cross, I suffer the pangs of death and sorrow and the wrath of the Father so that you can know and walk and be characterized by truth. How can we? make a practice of dealing in lies when Jesus says, I'm going to the cross so you can walk in the truth. It really ups the ante, doesn't it? Jesus is the embodiment of the truth. We can't ultimately know truth apart from Jesus. Jesus prays for His followers. He wants to introduce them to someone. This is a heavenly tag team. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, but you won't be alone because I'll go to heaven and I'll tag the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will come down. He'll, he'll be my replacement on the earth. And, and how does Jesus identify the Holy Spirit? He says in John 14, 17, the Spirit of truth. John 15, 26, the Helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is the one informing our thoughts and our motives. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. When we tell lies a Christian, we're acting contrary to the Holy Spirit who's in us, who sealed us, who fills us, who informs us. We have the Spirit of truth. Jesus commends us to the truth of His Word in the Scriptures. 
We doing okay, guys? A little warm? A little stuffy in here? And it was a long weekend. I was tired this morning too, and my allergies are killing me. So I say this just so you can open your eyes, and we can finish strong, okay? Okay. So, uh, the word of truth. Jesus says, John eight thirty two. He's talking to his disciples. He says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciple indeed. You're really my follower if you abide in my word. And when you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And how do we get that? By abiding, living in God's word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Father, your word is truth. Your word is truth. You get this. You see where all this is coming, right? John 4, 23 and 24. By the way, this is a key verse for our church. It's always been on the, the Lion Lamb website. It's on the front page there. When you go to our home, that is the verse that's there. Jesus says the Father's looking for a particular kind of worshiper. They worship in spirit and in truth. Do you think truth is important to God for us? So, we're called to follow the truth in the person of Jesus to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit who's the Spirit of truth, to gain new freedom from the Word of truth, and to bring all that to bear when we worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Truth is a pretty important commodity for God. We said earlier that you can't know truth ultimately apart from Christ. You know, if you don't know the Lord, if you're not sure about that, what does that look like? You know, ultimately, we just come to God and we say, Lord, I've lied, or I'm a liar, or Lord, I've sinned and I know that. And Jesus, I just accept the salvation You freely offered that You sanctified Yourself for, that You suffered and died to cover my sins. I gladly accept that. And I want to embrace You by embracing the truth. I embrace the truth by embracing You. Salvation is a gift. We just say, yes, Lord, thank You. I'll take that. And God will start changing us from the inside out along these lines that the Holy Spirit will be in us. He'll inform our thinking as we read His Word. We'll see truth we never knew realized or existed before. Truth is supposed to be a way of life for us. Ephesians 4.15, uh, this is in contrast to those who practice scheming. Paul says, speaking the truth in love, grow up in every way to Him who is the head to Christ. Speaking the truth in love is the call. Speaking the truth in love. It's not just to know the truth. We know the truth by God's Word and by the Spirit. But we're to speak the truth to each other in love. And in Ephesians 4.25, in contrast to those who reject the truth, Paul says, put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbors. We are members of one another. Did it ever occur to you that when we lie to another Christian, we're, we're harming ourselves? Paul says you're connected to each other. You're all part of the body of Christ. If you lie, if you subvert truth, to a Christian neighbor, you are in fact subverting your own life. Because you, whether you think you can or not, you can't get away from the fact that you and I are all connected as members of the body of Christ. If I lie to someone else in the church, I'm in fact subverting my own spiritual vitality. Listen to a few quotes. I picked these up uh, online. I thought they were great. This was on a photo bucket icon. See if you relate to any of these. Just once, when I say, oh, I'm fine, I want someone to look me in the eye and say, okay, now tell me the truth. That's Sunday morning, isn't it? That's almost every Sunday morning. How about this one? If someone has enough courage to ask you a question seriously, you should be brave enough to answer truthfully. That's a good one too, isn't it? Speak truth to your neighbor. How about this one? This is from a TV program I'd never heard of called One Tree Hill. I'm not recommending it. I don't know anything about it. I'm making a quote. You can hold me to the quote, but not to the show, okay? Let's play truth or dare. Or just dare. Because nobody tells the truth anymore. That's relevant in our culture today for sure. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend while the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Flattery, the kisses of an enemy, I don't care about you. I'll tell you anything. Because I don't care. But a friend is willing to wound me. And I want to be careful on two sides of this and then we'll close. Um, if you've known me long or heard me teach, you know that this is one of my hobby horses, speaking the truth to one another. Speak the truth in love. The verses out of Ephesians 4. Because guys, we don't. We don't. You don't. 
I don't. The church doesn't speak the truth and love to each other. It's a conspiracy of silence. I'll say I'm okay to you. You'll say you're okay to me. We'll go on our lying way. We have a conspiracy of silence in the church. It's epidemic. Been around as long as I've been a Christian, I'm sure before, maybe, maybe after. We're called to speak the truth to one another. And Proverbs says that a friend is willing to wound a friend. You know what that means? It's like if I come up to Bart and I say, Bart, I need to talk to you about something. I, I've so, seen something in your life. And brother, I, I think maybe we need to, maybe you've got a problem we need to talk about. Well, I'm putting myself on the line, aren't I? Because Bart might get mad at me. Or I might have it wrong. It requires humility and it requires me caring enough about Bart to humbly go and maybe, maybe if I'm not sure, ask questions or if I do know the true state of things to go and call him to account, right? How many, I'll bet, how many here like to go and tell that kind of truth to your friend? Nobody likes it. It's the hard thing to do, isn't it? So you know what? We don't do it. But Proverbs says a real friend will. We will speak the truth in love to someone else because God will take that truth and sometimes it is painful. Sometimes the truth is a knife and it cuts us and it cuts us open. It lays us bare and it's painful. When I heard a teaching on pride, I felt just blown over. It was painful. And some of you have told me that same teaching almost repeated here was very painful too. But then you say afterwards, uh, God exposed my heart. The truth exposed my heart, laid it open. I saw the ways I want to repent, need to repent. God's at work. And so what, what results from that? Well, then it's healing and health, isn't it? Because that's what you want. Now, in contrast to that, and I'm almost always on this side, by the way. Speak the truth in love because we don't. But there's another side to that, and it's this. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, there's probably a few of us in here. We're the bold ones. I'm just saying. I'm one of the bold ones. Maybe you are too, because we get it. And God's put us here so that we can inform others. Because you know we're willing to say the thing no one else will say. Because you know we go where angels fear to tread, because we're bold. We got it going, don't we? So, if you're one of the bold ones, have a care, seriously. Have a care. You know, if we tend to be bold, we might have a pride issue, number one. But also ask yourself this, without at all taking away from the really clear call to speak the truth and love to one another, not minimizing that at all, but ask yourself this, if you or if I am one of those bold ones, what's the fruit generally of your interaction with others? See, because Proverbs says it's possible for me to just stab my neighbor. I'm cutting them, but it's not God laying them open, opening their heart, exposing their heart. I'm just beating them up verbally. I didn't ask my wife permission of this, but it's so generic it probably won't matter. Many, many years ago, my wife had a friend. A good friend. The friend came over and visited us on a Saturday morning, wanted to talk to Kath alone. Great, fine. They have their conversation. <laughs> the gal leaves, great. She looks fine. She's beaming as she leaves. Life is good. She leaves. I'm checking with my wife. My wife's not so good. Wow, honey, what's going on? Well, our friend was under conviction. Uh, Matthew 5, you know, if you've offended your sister, go and, and um, make it right with your friend, your sister, before you come and worship, right? So, so I'm getting right with my friend, Kathy. So the friend comes in and tells my wife every cruddy, wicked thought she's ever had of her. Right? Unloads on her. She's speaking the truth. She thinks she's being loving. She's just dumping on my wife. Things my wife would never have known. Ever. You thought, what of me? You thought I did what? You thought I was like, what? Totally out of the blue. This gal goes away beaming because her conscience feels clear. But she has just thrust my wife through time and time and time again. So ask yourself, if you're willing to be the bold one, are you stabbing someone? Or is God using the truth in love to lay their heart open in a way that ends up bringing healing? And this requires guys on both sides. It just re requires humility, doesn't it, really? A lot of humility. Both to be willing to speak the truth, but also 
the ability to listen to someone, hear them out. And you know, if you don't know what else to say, by the way, don't lie. If someone does this with you, don't lie. Let's just start there. Just say, hey, let me think about that. Let me pray about that and I'll get back with you. But we want to be careful. We do want to speak the truth in love, but we don't want to stab someone. You've got a number of verses there. I'll let you look those up on your own. Sorry, it's all important as almost everything I have to say is so, so important. But I'm not going to have time for that. Let me just leave you with this. Truth was put to scorn. Truth was crucified when the embodiment of truth in the person of Jesus was rejected and put to death by the rulers of this world. But, isn't this great? Uh, Jesus conquered death, didn't He? In His resurrection. Jesus conquered death. And guys, the, the truth is at the end of the day, truth will conquer lies. Because the one that's the resurrection, the life, He's the truth and He wins and He conquers. And so how about this? Just as a resolution today. Don't deal in lies, but commit yourself to the truth. Say we resolve to commit to the truth of God's Word, learning it and doing it. And I really mean learning it. And then I really mean doing it. To truth telling to each other, speaking the truth in love. And also to gospel truth sharing with those who don't know know Christ. This is so important that if we are Jesus' missionaries on the earth, do we love our neighbor enough to just say, hey, you know what? You might want to know something about the way, the truth, and the life. You might want to change the direction of your eternity. That'd be worth knowing. That would be good truth-telling, would it not? And then through that, to live to the honor of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Sorry, I've run a little long. Let's pray. Father, we ask You to do Your work in us by using Your Word to circumcise our hearts and our minds, Lord, in the arenas in which we might be entertaining lies, or Lord, simply in failure to take full account of Your Word and its truth to give ourselves to the Word of Your truth or to Your Spirit leading us in truth or to truth-telling to each other. Lord, we are negligent and we need Your work in us in this. And and Father, would You help us to be a truth-loving, truth-knowing, truth-telling church to the glory of our head, the Lord Jesus, in His name. Amen.